Hi, thanks for tuning into High on Horror. I'm Drew. And I'm John. This episode and every future episode is dedicated to the horror hounds and smokers out there who want to expand their knowledge of the genre and have a good time. Today we're talking about the history of the drive-in and what some of our favorite films are that have been played at drive-ins. With us today, we're talking to the drive-in king himself Hell and all-around yeah. movie lover, the legendary Joe Bob Briggs from The Last Drive-In and Monster Vision. He's going to spill his guts to us in an exclusive interview. All that and more today on High on, on Horror. Horror. Interviews, reviews, and the latest news all rolled into one. If you hear that train of coming, you know what that means. It's Strainwreck, the segment of our show that we love to start our episodes off with because we get to smoke and we get to discuss what strain of cannabis we're getting wrecked on. What do we got today, John? Listen, last couple 420s we've seen uh, Joe Bob with some vapes. The one, unfortunately, Darcy had posted he wasn't able to. He felt bad because they weren't able to get the video out yeah, for 420. Yeah, right, I remember that, yeah. So I decided I'd bring a vape today. Oh, okay, vaping it, nice. And uh, it's from uh, King Louis Thirteenth. It's more commonly apparently known as King Louis or uh, Louis Thirteen Kush. And uh, it's an indica marijuana strain made by Cross and OG Kush with, oh, I want to try this just because of the name, LA Confidential. <laughs> its namesake might be the most famous for making wigs on on uh men's de rigueur for the france aristocracy but in southern cal the name will bring to mind a popular indica dominant strain this strain announces itself as many people did in the 1600s by its smell oh my that God. is hilarious i like that the difference is this monarch's odor is one that's meant to be enjoyed whoever wrote this hats off to you its dense nugs have an overwhelmingly piney smell with an earthy musk that will have you thinking of your last forest adventure. I don't know when that was. <laughs> uh. Because of its OG Kush heritage, Louis Thirteen has a very similar spicy Kush aroma. Questions about King Louis strain. Oh, so it just goes into questions. Yeah. Makes you feel uh, sleepy, relaxed, and hungry. And uh, as always, uh, we're we got some uh i try to find some funny reviews uh this person said on august 9th of 2016 i suffer from central sleep apnea insomnia and when i can actually hit the rem cycle several nightmares that sounds terrible yeah i served one year in iraq as a medic attached to an infantry unit i've seen and done some shit as, oh shit i read the wrong one bro <laughs> but hey person says in the end they say as a result uh they basically have every hindrance to sleep possible but it helps them oh okay uh this one somebody this is the one i meant to read somebody was like pain and nausea gone uh no anxiety or paranoia head buzz but it's funny because at the end it says super hot stoner sex with my hubby before (laughs) passing out highly recommend for evening slash nighttime use yay yay all right now this one it's a little long but it made me laugh he's (laughs) i wow made her laugh I have smoked some of the greats, have grown some of the greats as well. When I saw this on the dispensary menu in Arizona, I scratched my head. Understand that as a NorCal guy, 
I just didn't think they had it in them to pull it off here. More on that later in my upcoming piece, Combing Cowboy Country for Chronic. I asked, hey, is this indoor, outdoor, greenhouse? And was greeted with, and I don't know, until through the door came Joan at Monarch, Scottsdale, calmly saying it's indoor and it's good. So I promptly said I'll take an eighth. The product I got was the first time it had matched what I had smoked in Cali, and the ride was perfect. The nose, burn, ash, buzz, everything was on the money. One of the finest. If you have the nuts to call it Louis Thirteen, be prepared to deliver. And damn if it didn't. What a great experience. Enough so that it's changing the tempo of my piece, which will now have a few more days because I did find chronic in cowboy country. I just had to wade through a lot of horse shit to find it. Props. Bravo, <laughs> bravo. <laughs> Dude, that's I always re- enjoy finding some of these review. like ridiculous reviews. Crazy review. Um, but, uh, yeah, I feel bad that I said this is hilarious and I read about a guy that's got sleep problems. Yeah, Fucked up t- on my end. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, you shit. won't see a pro like joe bob doing that that's true that's true well uh before we get to joe bob i was going to talk to you uh while you uh passed that vape along um so you know ted ramey you know uh, somebody who obviously you know all, all you listeners out there know who ted ramey is um he's in the evil dead movies he's uh he played henrietta in evil dead 2 in the show he's also done a lot of shit with bruce campbell he plays like three roles or five roles in army of darkness i don't even remember <laughs> anymore but um, he's got a new film coming out called Failure. It's premiering at uh, the, um, the the Fantastic Pavilion at uh, Cannes, um, the Marche du Film. I don't know if I don't know how to say French, so I'm probably tearing that up. You'd be up, like, but, uh, I messed up my French for the Louis XIII. Yeah, it's just but, bad French all around here. Uh, by this point, when this um, when this episode airs, it will have already aired at Cannes, but, uh, or at Cannes, I'm sorry. But um, it's a it's a film called Failure, and the thing that's interesting about this is it's a horror film. And uh, from bloodydisgusting.com, the way that they put the plot is that uh, Ramey plays a man forced to choose between financial ruin and murder, with little time to process, resulting in a crime thriller that delivers on violence. That's bury the lead, however, as Ramey's latest takes on the daunting task of capturing this moral conundrum through one single take. This was an 87-page script. A th- okay. essentially a three-act film with no intermission intermention it is completely shot in one take the whole film 87 pages it's a three-act film with no intermission one take one shot for the whole thing that's the whole catch with it directed by alex coleman so that this sounds pretty interesting i mean we'll be there checking it out but uh yeah that's yeah, I'm looking for that's like that's like live in the moment like that. Yeah. Right? That sounds pretty especially Ted Ramey. He's never done a role like that, so kudos to like still doing new shit. Uh, like I said, you know we'll be there to check it out. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um We're here to check out everything pretty much. Yeah, I really want to see this though. This looks uh pretty good. So by the time this comes out, we'll probably be seeing the reviews for it. But regardless of if even, they're good or e- bad, e- we're gonna be watching we, them for sure. Even if we see way. a bad movie, it was still better than not seeing a movie. Yeah, right, right. And uh yeah, it was uh they had to like basically learn thirty pages in a week and wow. like, yeah, and like, you know, ninety pages in three weeks and uh it was very challenging, but they pulled it off and so uh, this is really interesting. This could really uh so Ted Ramey's never had that shining moment where he deserves it he's he's well known he's always he's always willing to play whatever part but he's never had that like standout moment where you mention his name and people are like yeah i know who that is 
So, you know, this, something like this could put them on the map with especially newer uh, horror fans in the younger generation. So hopefully this works out. This sounds really interesting. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. uh, let's get on into horror history then. Get that horror hiss. This week in horror history. All right. Let's get into some horror history. May 28th, 1980, The Changeling. My favorite I was gonna say, ghost story of all time. You know that. My favorite supernatural horror movie. That is, uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, whenever I think of The Changeling, I think of you. Oh, I appreciate that, buddy. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, I don't know too many people champion it in my personal life as much as you. Yeah. Uh, also, we have a birthday on May 28th, Ashley Lawrence. Oh, my favorite Scream Queen. Yeah, love Ashley Damn, Lawrence, man. That's right. I forgot she's your favorite. Yeah, love Ashley. She's beautiful. <laughs> uh, May 29th, 1981, we got Dead and Buried. Yeah, man, that's a good a good movie, man. Young Robert England and uh, Dan O'Bannon, you know, had a big part in that movie. Um, and uh, making the movie, that's an awesome like little zombie movie. It's very, very underrated. And I mean, that is what you should do with your dead after they die. You should probably bury them. Yeah. (laughs) May 30th, 2008, uh, The Strangers. Oh, awesome. And uh, 1986, Demon. Oh, Demons. Demons. I'm sorry, Demon. Dude, we... That's actually like the... It's an ongoing joke with us singularizing movies. Yes. And sometimes, like, we don't even catch that we do it. Just, it just slips out. It's a yeah. bad habit. We should probably stop. But what's funny is that, yeah, the movie in, in uh, English is called uh, Demons from 1986, but to singularize it in the original Italian title from 1985 is Damani. Damani. So it is kind of singularized in its own original title in its own way. Uh, Strangers was, uh, was pretty good. Oh, wait. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like The Strangers a lot. Uh, June 1st, 1990. Frank and Hooker and Total Recall, uh, both oh in God. 1990, and same day. That's Ma- another imagine going to a double feature yeah. of Total Recall and Frank and Hooker. Which one are you seeing first? I'm seeing Frank and Hooker first. I'm loosening yeah. it up and kind of going to have a little bit of fun, and then just going like, to have uh, my mind blown by Total Recall. You're probably going to roll your eyes to make a wrestling analogy. You have that curtain jerker match that just gets the crowd going yep, and like yep. gets them into it. That's Frankenhooker. You're yeah. going to be watching. You're going to enjoy the movie, feel good. Then you go into Total Recall. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that'd be a good day at the movies. I mean, nothing alike. <laughs> uh, but I agree. Still no, awesome. I agree. Yeah, I would still be like, yeah, I'm going to be at the movies like all day. Uh, June 2nd, we got Justin Long. I, that meme never gets old. Yep. If you see Justin Long in a horror movie, you're dead. It's funny. He's like a legend in horror movies, but his, like, his legacy is that he always fucking dies in like the worst ways. You want to know what's worse? You're, well, worse or what's terrible? What's that? When I think of Justin Long, the first role that comes to mind. A Jeeper Creeper? No. <laughs> I just did it. I singularized it. <laughs> Randy St. John. Randy St. John from what's that? Zach and Beery make a porno. Oh my God. He's the gay porn star. And then he oh shows up God. in the Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Yeah. But yeah, they yeah. like, I think he has a different character name in it because for like legal reasons, but yeah, like, I don't know why. Whenever I think of Justin Long, that's all I picture. That's the character. It's a picture. And he's done way better stuff than that. Not, I mean, I enjoy Zach and Beery make a porno, but like he's done other stuff that was better and more memorable than just that part. Right. But, it's just you know I, i'm some sure you have, have an effect on there's you, just yeah. some actors that like you think of them and you just 
you're the person who thinks is one of their like weird roles that nobody else just thinks of them for yeah uh and june 3rd we'll start with psycho 2 from 1983 oh nice yeah we've, we've talked about that before and you said something hilarious about that bitch deserved it or whatever <laughs> yeah. you know yeah psycho 2 is one of the one of the great horror sequels ever uh huh one of the great psycho bitches of all time <laughs> there you go yeah uh king kong versus godzilla 1963 awesome oh yeah i guess i'm gonna have to watch that i guess uh, i just need a reason i feel like i needed a reason right yeah my dad uh my dad was never really into godzilla so i didn't watch too many godzillas as a kid he but my god that man loved king kong <laughs> he'd have probably been mad at godzilla versus kong oh yeah probably dude he'd have probably. probably been like this is bullshit yeah how god's i mean like on the on just paper godzilla should win like yeah <laughs> but i'm sure my dad would like give me some explanation as to why king kong should have beat godzilla dude that happens like uh, i'm in a lot of like you know godzilla groups on social media and stuff and you wouldn't believe that's the strength of five men you wouldn't believe like how into not and it's not just with godzilla it's with anything that fans are passionate about but like they're like there are some fans that are like legit in denial like there was this person that was like legit saying that kong one in godzilla versus kong and he no. wasn't a troll and we were like how and like we're like godzilla wins two out of he wins the first round and the third round and we're like how and this dude's just like well kong wins classic rubber man he helps godzilla <laughs> and all this stuff and and i'm like I, I literally comment i'm like hey dude like literally the director the writer alex well, I'm, I'm i'm sorry alex adam wingard the director the writer he legit said that out of all the different drafts and scripts of the film it was never even once considered that Godzilla would lose the fight. Everybody on board of this movie automatically just knew Godzilla's winning. And like it wasn't even a question. And here's the thing. Godzilla legitimately kills Kong in that movie. He fucking kills him. They have to blow up a jet to kickstart Kong's heart. He kills him. If that's not winning, I don't know what is. But this dude still goes, yeah, but Kong so-and-so. And I'm like, dude, the fucking director. But whatever. You know, hey, what, what does the director you know? what it know, sounds right? like? Is it sounds like me arguing with people about die hard and the <laughs> argument i always hear now the big argument that everybody says now is oh bruce willis said it's not a christmas movie to which i responded to somebody and i said oh i wasn't aware that bruce willis wrote the fucking movie right and yep. they were like uh i mean the guys that star in it uh he says not a christmas movie again he's starring in a movie somebody wrote and then like the writer of the movie came out and was like yeah it's a christmas movie there's a, like it's at a chris if you, like yeah. i don't understand like i get that it's not your traditional white christmas it's a wonderful <laughs> life christmas movie yeah but the movie takes place at a christmas party I, I saw like ridiculous things it was like it takes place at a christmas party there's christmas music run dmc christmas and hollis it's a christmas movie uh, yeah i know i'm going on a rant about christmas <laughs> <laughs> and the other one that had me laughing is they were like it's uh look at his wife's name holly i was like okay that's a little ridiculous i ain't gonna follow you on that one <laughs> you got me with that but, uh, i was unexpected that yeah i don't know what the point of that was except getting me to talk about die hard but uh <laughs> let's move on to puff puff ass all right yeah man puff puff pass 
Whew, the vape is good, man. It's got to be going good. All right, uh, Puff Puff Ask here is the segment of our show where we read off the messages that you listeners write into us on social media at High on Horror 420 and through email at highonhorror420 at gmail.com and our website at highonhorror.com. There's a lot of places you can reach us. Just if you got a question, reach out. Um, all right, I'll start this week's uh, question. Um, Brittany W. asks, if you could go back in time and interview one person who's no longer with us, who would it be? Now, here's the thing. I feel like I might have answered this question before. I don't know. So I feel like we're getting repeat questions at this point. Like There might be an episode from like season one where we answered this. I don't even remember. But I feel this feels familiar to me. I could be totally wrong and just high, though. Like I, I, But because like my answer doesn't seem repetitive. So if anybody uh, listens to this podcast religiously enough, let me know <laughs> if we've already covered this question. Um, but uh, we got asked by Brittany. Um, she's, uh, yeah, she wants to know uh, who we would interview of uh, at people who are no longer with us um i would say vincent price um i would have loved to have gotten to talk to him because he's so like rich uh, his, his character and like personality is so rich and he's so over the top and dramatic i'd love to have talked to him um anger scrim from the phantasm series as well that would be my other choice just because this <laughs> is based it off of one horror franchise or really just one horror director for the most part yeah one director in a franchise donald pleasance like <laughs> i'd love to talk to donald pleasance Hell that'd yeah. be amazing that would be great and like i mean he served in the war too so like that'd be cool to talk to him about as well could you i would just love to like pick his brain just be like dude how is michael alive you shot him nine times or 11 times or, or six times uh, i shot him six times <laughs> I know, but them, get the only, sheriff on the phone you shot him tell so him many i times. shot him six times he got up and walked away <laughs> I, was he, dude i've seen it too many times how is he up and walking donald how how is this character how? alive get, he's like oh, the neighbor he's like was this some trick-or-treat bullshit <laughs> it was like he was like i've been trick-or-treated to death and then, dude, classic Donald Pleasance. You don't know what death is. And then jacket swooping and takes off into the night. <laughs> yeah, it does that, that Kevin Hart jacket flip. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I'd love to talk to Donald Pleasance. I feel like that'd be amazing. I agree. That'd be awesome. Dude, I'd be trying to talk to him about, like, the great escape and shit. I'd be using just like he I'd was in Escape from New York. You know what I mean? Uh, Prince of Darkness. Right. That That's, yeah. Prince of Darkness would be a good one. Hell yeah. The Freak Maker. That was a weird movie, too. And, uh, if I had to pick somebody else, maybe, uh, Wes Craven. Oh, that's fucking solid. That's a good choice. That's a solid fucking choice. I tried to get him to tell us that his point. You got made. me there. That was good. That <laughs> you was didn't good. catch that at all. No, I'm sorry. What? <laughs> I just said I would try to get him to finally disclose those pornos he made. <laughs> <laughs> Exclusive high on Exclusive, horror content. We track down the West Craven pornos <laughs> and the actors in them. Prepare for the interviews. <laughs> oh, that's ridiculous, man. <laughs> anyway, yeah. don't you have a question? Yeah, I do. It's funny because uh, I almost cut off the recording there. <laughs> that uh, that Louis the Thirteen get into us like that one guy said. <laughs> gonna see the french air aristocracy uh jeff on instagram wrote in he said uh did you guys hear that david gordon green's exorcist film is getting bad reviews already what yep. are your thoughts uh well thoughts on the movie itself uh we didn't get a screener we weren't privileged enough for that on that one but uh <sighs> it's funny how quickly a year changed everything 
That's so true, dude. I know where you're going. Halloween I kills. I a disappointment. We, I still, we both, well, I think you liked kills better than 18, right? I did, and after the rewatch, I've switched back. I like okay, 2018 more, so you're back, more, but, but so I you're still back do like, yes, but I still really like Yeah, kills. I still like kills. It's fine enough. It's one of the better ones. Yeah. And that's when the Exorcist thing got announced, and we're like, damn. I'm really looking forward to that. And then Halloween ends happened and we went, oh, I don't really care if I see that or not. I mean, right. we'll watch it for you guys. But uh, I, am I surprised? No. <laughs> you know what this has become? Uh, I was talking with somebody at work about this. It's almost like the D&D thing from uh, Game of Thrones, the two Davids. Yeah. That they had all these other projects lined up and it was just like, they stopped maybe caring. I don't think he stopped caring in this mm-hmm. case about Halloween. Yeah. As compared to Game of Thrones, but they just had a bad movie and then lost everything. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess yeah. not lost everything, but nobody's as favorable on them. Yeah, I agree. I agree. See, I think that like um I, I to answer the question, no, I'm not surprised and also I'm in I'm in no rush to see it. Um the thing is I think that uh, truthfully it's it really is a uh, brash and ballsy move to do a sequel to like the greatest horror film ever in the exorcist i really do and like even with as good as halloween 2018 was even off that high say the last two movies didn't happen he david gordon green's not like that that movie's not in the same caliber as the exorcist david gordon green didn't prove that he's that caliber of a director or storyteller to be able to make a sequel to the exorcist based on the one good halloween movie he did um so i'm not looking forward to it i, I do think that this is going to bomb i do uh, i have a feeling it's going to make money but it's going to bomb um uh but give me another director and tell me that they're doing the exorcist uh sequel like say alex aja's doing it or something and uh yeah i would have been all for it and and had a little bit of hope for it but after halloween ends i just i don't think david gordon green can make a truly scary movie like the original exorcist or a faithful adaptation but we'll see i might have my foot in my mouth in a few months when i see it uh i was funny i said eggers but i don't see that eggers would ever want to do that i don't think he Eggers doesn't strike me as somebody that would actually want to work on an already existing IP. I like, agree. I he agree. wants to do his own shit, but yep. yeah. But I think if he was to do an Exorcist type movie, I would definitely be interested in checking that out. Yeah, for sure. For um, sure. Yeah, I mean, hopefully so. we're wrong, and maybe Exorcist sequels. Uh, it was amazing. Like I said, yeah. We're going to be sitting terrible. down at this table recording in a few We're months going. We're always open to change our minds. best movie stuff. ever. Who would have thought it's better than Halloween 2018? Could happen. I'm not going to say it's oh, not. So I meant to say, I think we probably have the same David Gordon Green movie as our favorite. Your Highness? No. Halloween 2018? No. What? Pineapple Express. Yeah. Okay. You got me. I really like Your Highness, though, dude. Your Highness is I know. Is you're hilarious. one of the few people. Yeah. <laughs> You're, you're like me with uh, Observe and Report. Yes, I like that movie too, dude. People do not like I that know, movie. I, like that I remember one time I went, to, I, went, I, I went to look up a clip to show somebody. And it's like the big scene where he's like, when, his, when Michael Payne, he's like, sometimes I drink from volcanoes. <laughs> like, he's like, tell, dude, I was like, somebody was like, what are you talking about? And I went to go look the scene up because that's like the biggest like well-known yeah. scene. It wasn't even on, this was like 10 years ago, but it was like, wasn't even on YouTube. And I'm like, there's like no clips from this movie. Like people Damn. really hated this Damn. movie. But it's funny, that's like me with Hot Rod. The, uh, oh, the, I love Hot I, Rod. I, dude, I loved Hot Rod, but I'm like the only person besides you that I know that like, likes that movie. Like that movie, every time I tell people I like it, cool like, that movie's stupid. And I'm like, I know, cool but beans. that's why it's funny. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> too legit. Too legit to quit. <laughs> all right, anyway, let's go yeah, to the point here. Yeah, all right, let's talk about drive-ins. All right, so uh, the thing that you have to love about drive-ins is the formality of it all. Am I right? I mean, the th- at, at theaters, you can't talk, text, or anything without it bothering, you know, other viewers or people next to you. Yeah. But uh, at the drive-in, you make yourself at home. You talk as much as you want. You deal with your out-of-control kids. Anything goes. Actually, <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah, uh, if you have kids, drive-ins used to uh, have playgrounds and music and even TVs to watch when they weren't a common thing yeah, in every household. Yeah, that's crazy to think about. Right, it was like a, a serious attraction, you know, and uh, the only catch is that instead of surround sound, you just get one little old speaker, you know, but uh, yeah. the drive-in is a true place to kick back and enjoy a movie on your terms. As a matter of fact, the drive-in was invented for comfort. Uh, Richard Hollingshead Jr., who was a movie buff, wanted to give his mother optimal the optimal viewing experience because she didn't like the seats at theaters. Yeah, you know, she say that like I'm sure the seats weren't weren't too great back then, but were cars really that comfortable to like Fair enough. To sit in? <laughs> I mean I guess they were a little bit bigger back then, but yeah. Anyway. Uh the history of the drive in theaters dates back to the early twentieth century. Uh, the first partial drive in theater, Theater de Guadalupe, opened at Las Cruces I'm probably saying that wrong, New Mexico, on April 23rd, 1915. It had a seating capacity of 700. That's a lot. That's I feel a like lot. that's a lot. Yeah, that is a lot. Holy and crap. provided car owners with entrances and spaces for over 40 cars within the theater grounds. Uh, the theater showed both movies and it also had live performances on its stage. And uh, shortly after, in 1921, Claude Caver opened the drive-in theater in Comanche, Texas, where patrons could watch silent films from their vehicles. I guess that makes it a little bit easier. Like, with the yeah. silent film, you don't need... For like, sure. Well, you don't need the I speaker. mean, you still have the music. <laughs> oh, okay. Fair. So, you, I mean, got I don't, you got that. You're right but, there. If you Almost, have, if you have trouble smart. here and it's maybe not going to ruin it for you. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, however, due to the logistical difficulties, there were relatively few drive-in experiments during that time. Uh, the drive-in theaters, we know it today was patented by the man you brought up, Richard Hollinshead Jr. Uh, very close to us in Camden, New Jersey. Hell yeah. It's a stone's throw away. And, uh, 1932 Hollinshead conducted outdoor theater tests in his driveway. He used a small screen, uh, nailed to a tree and a 1928 Kodak projector on the hood of his car. Oh shit. Uh, he applied for a patent and received it on May 16th, 1933. Hollinshead's drive-in theater located in Camden opened on June 6th, 1933. After an investment of 30,000, uh, it was only 25 cents per vehicle and 25 cents per person. Uh, Hollinshead never made a profit, for, but the idea still became a hit. It featured a 40 by 50 foot screen and could accommodate 400 cars. And the first film shown at Holland's Head's Drive-In was Wives Beware. <laughs> well, we'll have to look that up sometime. Yeah, that's cool. I gotta that's imagine a- it's probably like a comedy or yeah, something. Yeah, I've never seen it, but I, that sounds cool. I'll check it out based on the title. Regardless, it's just history, so... Yeah. And uh, the drive-in theater concept quickly caught on, and more drive-ins opened across the United States. Shankweiler's Auto Park in Pennsylvania, 1934. Galveston's Drive-In Short Reel Theater in Texas in 1934. The Pico Drive-In Theater in Los Angeles in 1934. And Weymouth Drive-In Theater in Massachusetts, 1936, were among the early drive-ins to open. 
1939, there were drive-in theaters in various states, including Ohio, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, California, Florida, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, New York, Texas, and Virginia. And uh, by 1940, over 20 drive-ins opened across America. Yeah, uh, the drive-in in its heyday in the 50s and 60s uh, as, has uh, over 4,000 uh, opened across the country during the 50s and 60s. And uh, movies like Sean Connery's James Bond's and uh, the Elvis movies and schlock like Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. Are just oh, man, a, that'd be <clears throat> amazing to see in a drive-thru. Right? Those are just a little taste of what were big hits at the drive-in during this era between the 50s and 60s. And uh, 40% of all drive-ins were in the Midwest. And, that makes uh, sense. There's more room. Yep. And uh, the growth of drive-ins was uh, exponential due to the fact that you no longer had to pay Richard Hollingshead Jr. any royalties to open a drive-in. And uh, early drive-in theaters face sound issues, which, I mean, I mean that makes sense when you're trying to figure it out, especially yeah. back then. But uh, innovations like the in-car speaker with individual volume controls introduced by RCA in 1941 solved the problem, which uh, helped lead to the boom you talked about. Uh, there's also, uh, they did particularly well in rural areas, as you pointed out as well. Uh, drive-ins provided amenities such as bottle warmers, diaper vending machines, and that's awesome in addition to you know the playgrounds and swimming pools you mentioned already uh they became a part of north american pop culture symbolizing freedom and liberty uh during their peak in the late 50s and early 60s there were over 4,000 drive-in theaters mm-hmm. in the u.s drive-ins use various gimmicks to attract audiences such as prize drawings personal appearances by the actor live musical performances some drive-ins held religious services while others offered discount admissions on specific nights. Like you imagine just like, uh, you know, you pull up at the drive-in, you go see, you know, James Bond and there's like Sean Connery there to, yeah, <laughs> like, right. He's just chilling. Cause I mean, I doubt you would get it to that level, but or I mean, like you, you still get an actor's like coming in. That's still pretty cool. Or I imagine how awkward it would be like pulling in to see like what the movie's playing, what the movie is playing at the drive-in and it's like Sunday mass. Yeah. Like, oh, 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 You're like, Why day. is everybody here during the day? I was trying to see Godzilla. That don't start till two 30. I got three hours to kill. Uh, however, the drive-in industry started to decline in the seventies and eighties due to several factors. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was improvement in home entertainment, such as color television, cable TV, VCRs became a big thing, especially vid- video rentals. Yeah, now, video stores, yeah. now, now it wasn't, if you missed it in the theaters, it was gone. You know, you could get them on, on V on a VHS, or you could just go and rent them from, uh, your local video store. Yeah. And uh, that provided more options for movie watching at home. Also, the 1970s energy crisis and daylight savings time started, and it changes affect the drive-in attendance because you're changing the times, different yeah. points in the year. Yep. And uh, some of the theaters uh, switched from showing some of the R-rated to the, some of the X-rated films to offset declining revenue, while uh, others struggled to compete with indoor cinemas that had a wider range of movies and a higher expectation for longer screening times yeah i'm just gonna say it if you go to a drive-in to beat off you're skeezy <laughs> but um but no but that's the thing about drive-ins that's why it's important that's why horror uh like even though drive-ins have shown all kinds of movies like we talked about comedies and you know they just uh, recently up the honing, honing drive-in showed terminator and uh, robocop yeah like these they show these movies but the thing is is that um they show all genres of movies is what i'm saying but the the reason that you always see like 
to drive it stick to horror closer than any other genre. Like whenever you're sp- speaking of a specific genre of movie, drive-ins go right in hand with monster movies and horror movies. That's like, yeah. you know, and that, that's why like, you know, because they were the places that weren't scared to show you I spit on your grave and stuff like that. So if you wanted to see movies like that, that's where you would go to see them. And so like, that became kind of like a thing where like, yeah, man, like, you know, the drive-ins known for... <clears throat> you know, playing those really grimy movies and uh you gotta give it respect for that. But as far as the X rated shit goes, I don't know why you anybody would pull up in their car and just sit there and just watch a porn. You just gotta take the edge off. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. You light some candles, set the mood. <laughs> anyway, uh, getting back to uh drive ins here. Uh, during the late 70s and early 80s, drive-in theaters faced challenges due to the runaway inflation and real estate interest hikes. Uh, the large land tracks occupied by drive-ins became increasingly expensive. I believe it. And just make, made it economically unfeasible to continue operations as drive-ins. Uh, many drive-ins operated only on weekends, and some were open during the spring and summer months, subject to weather conditions that could result in poor attendance yeah. or cancellations. And uh, as a result, the total number of drive-ins operating in the U.S. and Canada uh, by the late '80s dropped to less than 200. Oh man, we talked That's about a- we talked about the peak. It was what 6,000. I just yep. said it somewhere around there, but it was in the thousands, and now we're dropping down to less than 200. And apart from the financial aspect, many drive-in theaters required infrastructure improvements, which owners were often unwilling to invest in. Uh, the rising land prices made it difficult to justify the expense of maintaining the drive-in theater business. And uh, moreover, as drive-ins were typically located on the outskirts of towns, the expanded urban areas made it challenging and costly to maintain large properties. As uh, drive-ins closed in, or closed in, closed down, many of the former sites were repurposed and used for stuff such as storage facilities, flea markets, industrial parks, shopping centers, and again, even churches. <laughs> uh, the decline of drive-ins continued through the 90s with only a few operating venues remaining. However, during this time, a revival of drive-ins began to take shape, fueled by nostalgia and a wave of interest in retro experiences. Uh, the concept of the do-it-yourself drive-ins emerged using modern tools like LCG proje- LCD projectors and micro-radio micro transmitters. Uh, these drive-ins sought to reclaim underused urban spaces and organized outdoor film screenings. And uh, another for- format that gained popularity was the boutique drive-in, mm-hmm. kind of catered to a smaller audience and featured vintage aesthetics. Uh, these drive-ins typically showed mainstream films and popular classics, and they were often accompanied by food trucks as a concession stand. I mean, I guess that kind of helps cut down on your uh, expenses if you outsource it to somebody to sell on your property. Yeah, right. And uh, moving on to uh, 1999 here, uh, Hull's Drive-In in Lexington, Virginia became the nation's only nonprofit drive-in after a nonprofit group called Hull's Angels raised funds to buy and operate the theater focusing on family-friendly films. I mean, we'd like to see them show a little more horror, but I mean, they're yeah. keeping the drive-in alive. Yep. 
I agree. Uh, yeah, and by 2006, um, I was going to say uh, thanks for letting me chime in here. The, the number of uh, <laughs> <Body op> info. <laughs> yeah, um, the number of operating. By, I'm sorry, let me start again. By 2006, the number of operating drive-in theaters in the United States increased back to around 500, including both regularly operating venues and those with sporadic showings. However, drive-ins faced another decline in the late 2000s due to factors such as oil crisis, the worsening economy, reduced use of automobiles to population shifts away from suburban and rural areas, and uh, the ongoing conversation from celluloid to digital projection also pose financial challenges for smaller drive-ins. You know, um, today only 10% of that peak exists. Daylight savings time changed movie times, as you explained earlier. The VHS boom made people sell their lots, and uh, right there the drive-in just started dwindling. And uh, today... Um, instead of worrying about VHS and daylight savings time, we have IMAX theaters and streaming services and 4K that are putting the boots to drive-ins. Uh, it's sad to report that today, just over a little, just over a little th of 300 drive-ins still exist. To be honest, I'm surprised that many still actually exist. I know. It's, it's, I agree with that because you only really hear about like four or five of them. But um, yeah, um, the COVID-19 pandemic brought an unexpected surge in attendance to drive-in theaters, which makes sense, um, as uh, they allowed to operate while indoor theaters faced restrictions on mass gatherings. Drive-ins became popular for events like graduations, offering uh, physically distanced entertainment option. And um, despite the challenges... There has been a renewed interest in drive-in theaters in recent years. Drive-ins accounted for a significant portion of box office revenue in North America in 2021 and gained popularity in other countries as well. Some drive-ins have embraced new technologies and designs, incorporating electronic screen systems and expanding their hosting activities to include live concerts, yoga classes, fitness training, and private events. I know, right? The, the drive-in theater experience has evolved to adapt to changing times while... Uh, preserving the nostalgic appeal of outdoor movie viewing. And uh, so that brings us to today's guest, Joe Bob Briggs. Uh, we all know him as the host of The Last Drive <clears throat> with Joe Bob Briggs. And uh, if for some reason you're not aware of it, The Last Drive In with Joe Bob Briggs is a television series that has played a significant role in revitalizing and preserving the spirit of the drive in theater experience. Hosted by Joe Bob Briggs, uh, the show first aired on the streaming service Shutter in 2018, and it's quickly gained a cult following. And uh, Joe Bob's known for his quirky humor and vast knowledge of exploitation films, yep. and he's become an iconic figure in the world of horror and exploitation cinema. The last drive-in, it pays homage to the drive-in tradition by showcasing a double feature of cult classics. Uh, the show captures the essence of the drive-in experience, complete with Joe Bob's witty commentary, drive-in etiquette lessons, and uh, interactive fan, fan participation. Yeah, you know, uh, people ask, you know, what's the difference between Joe Bob and, say, Elvira or Svengoli and other hosts? And the difference is the amount of knowledge that Joe Bob has. He's not about gimmicks or like, you know, well, he is a gimmick, but uh, he's not about like, you know, Oh, look at like the stage setup that I have. And it's, it's not a showcase. It's just, it's uh, just knowledge. And uh, straight up, I always learn more from the actual movie whenever he's the host, because he knows his shit with Elvira. You know, she's likely to give you like one liners and puns to yeah. make you laugh. But Joe Bob is likely to take a deep dive into the actual movie and talk about it while still being funny. And uh, the other thing that the other hosts don't have is 
is Joe Bob's ability to go on a rant unrelated to the movie, but still keep you invested until he's done rambling. His rants are amazing. And uh, lastly, the character of Joe Bob is relatable. He's casual. He's the best horror host of all time, if you ask me. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's no lie that we've wanted him on this show forever. Yeah. Um, but that's the thing. Like, even stuff like, not as in a bragging type way, but you and I know Halloween 1978 pretty much in and out i'm pretty confident in that yeah and i sure. still learn something watching yes. joe bob yeah he'll always bring something new to the table it's that you're just something like, what the man hell? but it's not it's because he's not like people like us like other critics where he's behind a computer just learning he's been out there involved he's talked to people he has like yeah. first-hand knowledge and that's what he brings to the table is that first-hand knowledge that other people don't have and it just feels like you're sitting with your buddy watching a movie yes and just you just but you're just learning yeah it's just it's it's funny i think i've told you before like it's almost like a comfort show for me like 100 it's kind of like when you're sick when you're home sick from uh school and you watch the price is right and you watch those other shows it's like oh i don't feel good i don't want to pay attention i'm just gonna i'm gonna put on joe bob but it's funny because <laughs> we say that about how knowledgeable it is but it's just like it's that comfort show it's oh, also background material I'll just hang out with joe bob yeah. while i'm sick and just watch while i tell razor like, yeah right <laughs> For real. That, that's what'll make me feel better uh and one of the show's most significant contributions is its celebration of the communi- communal aspect of drive-ins uh the lambs drive-in has a very interactive nature it encourages viewers to participate and engage through social media platforms where they could share their thoughts jokes uh memories related to the films being screened uh, this online community has created a virtual drive-in atmosphere where fans from all around the world come together to celebrate their love for cult movies and the drive-in experience. And I think, uh, honestly, it's a big uh, compliment to what Darcy's brought to the last 100%. drive-in. She was, with her, she's the with her social media, it. like, there's so much fan engagement. I mean... And how much she goes to bat for him. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, it's just... I, any social media can be toxic at times but i feel like for the most part it's just a lot of fun and just people interacting with each other online like that joe bob group the mutant family group on facebook that's like one of my favorite groups like i feel like it's i feel like people feel more confident sharing their opinions where they'll be like oh i feel like i see it more so in that group than other ones where it's like like where somebody's like like, i didn't like that movie but cool that you liked it but like it wasn't for me everybody in that group doesn't post like opinions like they're like siskel and ebert they're just like casual people and i've seen so many where it's like somebody's like oh i've never seen this movie and it's like you know the movie everybody's supposed to see yeah. and then like people are like oh you haven't seen this and they're they'll be like oh i never saw this would i like it well if you like this type of movie then you'll like it but yeah. if you're expecting this then no you won't like it i agree it's a positive community for and, like i've seen part. people that are like oh i didn't like the movie but if you said that you like this you'll probably like it like, oh, yeah i feel like compared to other groups where it's like oh you didn't like rob zombies halloween you're a piece of shit like <laughs> like or the other way around <laughs> but uh but like yeah i feel like it's just it's 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 a good community for the most part yeah i agree uh the last drive-in has uh also played a role in introducing lesser known films to a new generation of viewers i feel like for us like with stuff a lot of times we've maybe already seen but like you know you know teenagers i mean you'd be a teenager watch joe bob fuck yep, yep. but like or a young adult that maybe hasn't seen it they're getting movies that like 
they maybe didn't check out because they were movies that we saw when we were kids so it just passed by them but uh many of the films featured on the show are rare or forgotten gems and they provide an opportunity for fans to discover these horror, horror treasures well i guess they are horror treasures but i meant hidden treasures yeah uh, by shining the spotlight on these films, Joe Bob not only educates the audience about the history of cinema, but also helps preserve and promote the work of independent filmmakers and underappreciated films. And the success of The Last Drive-Ins had a real positive impact on the drive-in theater industry itself. The show's reignited an interest in drive-in theaters, uh, increase, leading to increased attendance and support for these iconic venues. Uh, many fans have started to seek out their own local drive-ins, creating uh-huh. a resurgence of interest in their own areas and provided much-needed revenue for those struggling theaters. Uh, the last drive-in has reminded audiences of the unique experience offered by drive-ins, the joy of watching movies under the stars, the sense of community, and the shared excitement that can't be replicated in a traditional movie theater. And uh, yeah, and let's uh, there's there's been another positive impact to speak of. The last drive-in to date has made more than three hundred and fifty thousand dollars in charitable donations from auctions. Yeah, you assholes! I can't get anything because you're all too charitable. I know, <laughs> right? Everybody keeps giving. People love tuning in and giving money. So even in that sense, how can that every be? Christmas I'm like I'm gonna get something and I'll be like, damn it. Yep somebody always outbid me yeah it's it's awesome you know there and uh and another positive is that the last drive with the last drive-in uh we officially get joe bob merchandise we've never had joe bob merchandise right yeah there's never been joe bob merchandise you know there never used to be anything you know when monster vision was out but thanks to fright rags there's joe bob and darcy action figures tumblers shirts shirts for every season and holiday special and so on a, f- a fucking uh, messed up puzzles did a Joe Bob puzzle. Uh, Joe Bob with the Elvira <laughs> puzzle. They did a Joe Bob puzzle of his face. You know, there's there's Joe Bob merch, and and that's amazing. And uh, also, let me add one more uh, positive effect here that the last drive-in has had is that Joe Bob is making personal appearances at cons and at lectures, like the one that we went to, how the Rednecks saved Hollywood. And you know, I it I, wasn't I, even about horror, but it was right. so amazing. And uh, exactly, and I highly recommend that you meet him somewhere. He's the coolest guy, really. And uh, the world didn't know it needed Joe Bob so bad until the last drive-in you know i, I, I want to jump in right there yeah. i just want to say with how redneck saved hollywood i remember when we got our tickets and it said that joe bob would sign for one hour before and one yeah. hour after and as soon as the thing ended he went up there to sign there was just put out on twitter it was like don't worry about the time joe bob's gonna sign yep. everybody anybody that wants anything signed or wants to meet him joe bob's gonna stay till he's the end he's gonna wait till these lines finished yeah it's like a class act they some of the people at the cons that are like oh i only do 150 autographs so if there's anybody else in the line too bad yeah. yep yeah <laughs> we won't name names but uh but I, I just wanted to say that it's funny because you know in the, the first special that shutter did with joe bob the first uh, the last drive-in was supposed to be a one and done and uh it left my buddy michael and i bawling our eyes out i remember like we, i cried like a bitch and we were texting each <laughs> other and he was like he can't be done like that can't be it's the way he like left his hat in the chair and then just kind of walked off man it, f- it really fucked me up and uh but it was great to know that you know we weren't the only ones that f- that missed him because uh shutter realized what they had in joe bob and went full swing man and this comeback is huge you know giving us holiday specials as i mentioned on top of seasons upon seasons of the last drive-in i mean joe bob is back in a strong way and, and rightfully fucking so i mean before the last drive-in 
you and I had like talked. It was like one of those things from our childhood that we're like, do you remember watching Monster Vision as a kid? Yeah, you remember that guy Joe Bob Briggs? Like, whatever happened to him, man? Like, he was awesome. Like, and then, man, like, we got it back. And I couldn't watch the marathon, mm-hmm. uh, partially because I was working. I think I was still working at the movie theater then. Um, but also, you couldn't. Uh, I guess it wasn't the movie theater then. But anyway, you, you still you couldn't. Um, like it broke shutter like yeah. you couldn't even get on i yeah, had to watch like did. the replay of yep, it it did it totally and the funny did. thing is like when they announced it i was already happy and sad yep because they announced it and i was like oh he's gonna come back he's gonna have a show and they're like it's like this one-off like we want to give him this send-off and i'm like i want to watch it but then it's just gonna like yeah. get my hopes yeah. up and that's like they announced it. I remember, like, I don't know which one of us messaged the other one. It was like, holy shit, they're fucking, Joe Bob's got a series. Like, <laughs> like I'm watching yeah. this every Friday. I'm usually at work, just got that popped on the, on the TV yeah. at work. Yep. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the last drive-in has become a beloved platform for preserving the spirit of the drive-in theater experience through its nostalgic celebration of cult classics, interactive fan engagement, and the support for independent cinema. The show has rekindled the love for drive-ins and created a vibrant community of film enthusiasts. Yeah, well With said. its continued success, the last drive-in ensures, as Joe Bob says, the drive-in will never die. Right on. Well, before we get into talking to Joe Bob, I wanted to bring up to you uh, movies that we'd like to see at a drive-in and or favorite movies that have already played at a drive-in. I thought this would be kind of cool because, like, you know, going to a drive-in is always fun for people like us. And uh, see, when I think of the drive-in, I think of uh, exploitation flicks and how, you know, drive-ins were a place for people, like I mentioned earlier, to watch them. So for me, my drive-in experience would be a gritty double bill of, like, I Spit on Your Grave and Cannibal Holocaust or Maniac Last and New York Ripper. Yeah, and uh, some cold beer, Ooh, you know. Maniac at Last House on the Left. That That's like a, a good one. Bill. I mean, yeah, Maniac and uh, gonna New York Ripper is pretty brutal. That's a good that one. Theater. But, uh, it's going to feel grimy, like... <laughs> Uh, You'll be sweating. Those, like, uh, Joe Spinell. You got the Joe yeah. Spinell sweats. You know, but yeah, those are probably my favorite movies that I've that have been at, played at drive-ins, you know, because like they just seem like drive-in movies. They're perfect for that culture. But I wouldn't recommend those movies like on a first date unless you've seen move those movies already. Um <laughs> nothing worse than a guy taking you to a CD movie hey, to try to get in your you pants. You want to go to the drive-in? Yeah. What's this uh spit on your grave? Yeah, class it up a bit. Don't do exploitation at the drive-in <laughs> unless you're both dedicated to the genre. But um in regards to movies that I'd like to see at the drive-in, the list could go on and on, but my answer to that, plain and simple, is Godzilla. Um, uh, Godzilla at any drive-in seems like my idea of a good time. Luckily enough, I'm going to the Mahoning drive-in in July to see God- Godzilla Double hyped. Bill. Yes. Um, Those uh, yeah, screenshots sure. came into the group chat hella fast. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm going. And, you know, it's it's uh, I'm going one of the days. We're doing it all three days, uh, weekend, uh, last weekend in July, I think. But, uh, nice. yeah, um, it must be, uh, yeah, either way, you know, I'm... I'm glad to go, and I'm going to enjoy the shit out of myself, and it's going to be hot as hell, so cold beverages are a yeah. must, and uh, by all means, I should be in heaven that weekend. You want to go? I mean, I'll think about it. All right. If it was Gamera, I'd be there. <laughs> <laughs> Always throwing the shade. Uh, yeah, for what I'd like to see at the drive-in, I think I kind of already gave one answer. For, last for, house for on the left. The last house on the left, and uh, I already- Maniac? F- 
Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Oh my God. The that is a grimy double bill. Dude, though. you're going to feel dirty as hell whenever you <laughs> You're right. You're going to need a shower. But, uh, but I mean, even like I spit on your grave with the second one being Last House on the left, that'd uh, be terrible. Yeah. But, uh, or even I spit on your grave in Maniac. That's just, yeah. Something, anyway, something any of those combos. Yeah. Just feel grimy, but uh, I feel more chauvinistic just talking about it. <laughs> but uh, th- I think that'd be a good double feature. One I'd like to see in the drive-in, and I've also seen it. I guess you wouldn't consider it drive-in, but there's another way I'd like to see it. Uh, Jaws. Oh, I've man, seen, awesome! I've seen, uh, I guess, photos mm-hmm. of people where like they get like a lake or something, mm-hmm. or like a like. Well, like do, and they and they do like the tubing. Yeah, yeah. But everybody's yeah. sitting like in You're the tubes in the water and watching, watching yes. Jaws. I'm like, that would be amazing. Imagine, pass, imagine passing a blunt like while we're uh, sitting. No, on because you like know what happened. Oh fuck! I dropped it in the water. <laughs> and then then you gonna be the asshole for the rest of the day, and you gonna live that story forever. Be like, <laughs> you remember that time that John dropped a blunt in the lake? <laughs> in the water. Yeah, we had that good. Man, shit what that an time. asshole! We just sparked it. He was the first one I got pissed to. <laughs> i'll make up some shit be like no it slipped out my fingers i didn't have a good grip i didn't say i had it but i'd have to do it at nighttime because i'd be getting sunburned like a motherfucker well, i mean it's gonna be hard to go to a drive-in during the day so uh, just no no chilling in the water with like you know out in the open in daylight i'm gonna get fried i'm gonna look like a lobster that's fair i also would like to see halloween Yes, I was gonna say that for sure. <laughs> I would love for you and I to get to go to like just like for some reason I don't know why this seems perfect. Just Halloween one and two, yeah. double bill Halloween one and two, like like old old school f- uh, film reel, like you know, like yeah. Halloween three. <laughs> Sorry, say Halloween three or Halloween free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, didn't see Halloween free before. That must be the new one. Yeah, that's a new one. Uh, it's got to be better than they ends. brought back Rob Zombie. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I got three movies. I'm doing a triple feature. Well, I'll put it. Jaws in there as a palate cleanser in the middle. <laughs> I'll do a triple feature like overnight. So you can either start it with Last House on the left or Maniac first, but then throw Jaws in there as like, it's a horror movie, but it's a bit of a palate cleanser before you got to go back into that film. <laughs> I feel like stopping. Ooh, Last like, House on the left first, then Jaws, and then close it out with Maniac. So you feel real grimy and sweaty by the end of the night. I feel that like on your way home, like stopping and getting fast food, eating a burger is just going to make you like just shit. feel so like you're just going to go home and shower and get in bed and go to sleep. Like I'm done <laughs> for the day. All I picture is, was it David Cross and, uh, well, what, what was that show that Rod Howard did? Oh, uh, Arrested Development. Yeah. yeah. Just that, that gif. It has David Cross just like in, with, in the shower where he's <laughs> yeah. just like crying. Yep, yep. That's what you'll feel like when you go home. For real. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I think we've talked enough. Now yeah. Let's get uh, Joe Bob on here. All right. And uh, joining us today is a guest who's an icon in the horror industry. He's a movie host, author, actor, and more. I first became aware of him as a child watching Monster Vision uh, with my father. And he's the current host of The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs, currently airing its fifth season on Shudder. We are excited to have today's guest and our personal hero, the incomparable Joe Bob Briggs. Thank you again for being high on horror. Well, thanks for that introduction. Uh <laughs> You know, I, I don't I, I, I don't understand these uh, uh, introductions lately where they call me a hero because for the first part of my career, they called me a, a villain. So 
<laughs> this is this is a recent thing. <laughs> well, uh, but thank well, you. But yeah, thank you. Well, um, well, look, Joe Bob, you're on high on horror, so I have to ask this question. Uh, during your Phantasm Christmas marathon, you named off different strains that you were uh, smoking during these sequels. Uh, do you do you have any other movie series that you do that to? Um. Uh, we did that when we had the Phantasm. Are you talking about the Phantasm Marathon? Uh, yes. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the only time we've ever actually given people, um, and and by the way, we we get, we made it clear that the advice was enough for people. You had to be in a Colorado state. We call them, you know, Colorado states and Texas states. <laughs> you know, if you're in a Colorado state, we gave you those recommendations. If we gave you, if you're in a Texas state, we gave you whiskey rates whiskey recommendations and liquor recommendations. But, um, but, uh, that's the only time we've done it. Um, uh, we've done it all night long. Um, Oh, I, I am going to do it on one other movie. You know, we don't announce the, uh, titles in advance. We keep them a secret until the premiere, but, um, there is one other movie where, (laughs) <laughs> so that's so strange um that i'm gonna i'm gonna suggest uh i'm gonna give some specific suggestions of some uh some things you should take while you're watching it <laughs> even though even though the director's gonna be there he's gonna be on the he's gonna be with me when i host it <laughs> and and uh so i hope he's okay with that but anyway um uh, but no, I, I, there's just certain movies that, uh, uh, that, that seem to seem to call for, you know, uh, a little substance abuse. So, <laughs> uh, that's awesome. And we're definitely going to be looking forward to that. Uh, now you've done some 420 videos. Uh, do you just like to be a holiday smoker? Or do you like to indulge regularly? <laughs> uh, no, really. I, I take my, I take uh, uh, Darcy is actually the bigger. She's she's the expert on uh, on 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 that on that count. I, I'm really a whiskey drinker. Um, I'm not so much. Uh, uh, Darcy has introduced me to some, some strains and some uh, some. Um, uh, she's also big on mushrooms. Legal legal mushrooms you know yeah people people think of mushrooms as only uh psychedelic type stuff they're not it's not that they have other other different kinds that do different things and so she's kind of showed show me that stuff but really i i i mean um give me a bottle of uh wild turkey or mcallen scotch i mean i'm just not, <laughs> i'm not so much i'm not so much into the 420s <laughs> Fair enough. And uh, now you've been a film critic, a commentator, and writer for many years. What first drew you to the world of movies, and what keeps you so passionate about them? What first brought me to the movies? Well, um, I guess it was when I was a kid um, growing up in uh, various little small towns around Texas and Arkansas. um, uh, my parents, this, this was a different age. You know, my parents would uh, dump me at the neighborhood theater. That was my favorite thing to do or the downtown theater even. 
Um, and on, and, and usually at least two days a week, they would have these children's programs that went all day long. And, you know, you would go and watch the movies and, and, uh, and they would also have, I'm, I'm sure it was unbearable for parents to even be in the theater, you know, which was like, <laughs> you know, 300 kids in there. <laughs> but, and that's why, that's why they just dropped you off and left. But, uh, you know, they would have a clown and a magician and a bunch of movies and a bunch of Three Stooges shorts and then a couple of features and you'd just leave your kids there all day. Well, I love that stuff. And so I kind of learned to, I sort of developed my love for movies from uh, a really young age. Uh, and then my parents went to the drive-in all the time and, uh, where they would put me and my sisters in the back seat and we would try to stay up for the second feature. Cause you know, the second feature was the naughty feature, the adult feature. <laughs> <laughs> and so we would try to stay awake and we never made it. We never made it to the second feature, <laughs> you know, by the, by the time the second feature started, we were all asleep in the back seat. So, <laughs> but, but, um, but they always went to the went to the drive-ins back when drive-ins were all over, uh, especially the South in the in the warmer in the warmer uh, climates. Uh, the drive-ins would stay open all year long. Yeah, we used to have just one left in Delaware, but I think that closed about ten years ago, unfortunately. You know, a lot of drive-ins came back in the um, in the uh, pandemic. Because it was the only place where you could legally watch uh, movies uh, for a long time. Um, and uh, the, the only place you could see first-run movies. And uh, so a lot, of, a lot of drive-ins reopened. Now, if you're in Delaware, if, you, if you've never been to uh, Shankweiler's Drive-In in Oredale, Pennsylvania, you must go there. Shankweiler's Drive-In is the oldest continuously operating drive-in in the world. It's been operating since 1934. You've got to go to Ordale, Pennsylvania, Shankweiler's Drive-In. It's not far from Delaware. So uh, you you, you got to go there. And then you got to go to uh, Benji's Drive-In in in, uh, Baltimore. Um, uh, Same thing. It's like ancient, classic drive-in. And um, uh, you'll, you'll see how just how vibrant... Uh, the drive-in scene is today. I, uh, I, I'm the spokesman for the uh, Drive-In Owners Association of America for their 90th birthday, which is this year, because um, wow. the drive-in was invented in 1933. And, um, wow. and, and so uh, uh, they're having events all over the country. And uh, so it's true what I say, the drive-in will never die. <laughs> well um something that i wanted to uh say i asked you for uh i've wanted to ask this question to you for a while joe bob i've met you at conventions and i've meant to bring it up i uh, mean meant to bring it up and i always forget um your reviews meant a lot to me growing up uh, i was like kind of like the odd kid in my family trying to reach out and learn like different movies movies always appealed to me and i was always trying to watch weird shit and stuff people have never heard of and uh when i stumbled onto i spit on your grave for the first time i was scared to tell people that i watched it because like the people who knew i watched it gave me shit for it and then i saw you praising it and seeing it for what it really was and you even did a commentary track on it and that meant a lot to me to know that someone out there like felt the same way about this movie that i did that it's not sick and that you're not sick for watching it and i just wanted to ask you now that i spit on your grave has kind of become accepted mostly what movies do you still find yourself championing that still haven't earned the respect that they deserve well i spit on your grave has not become accepted um 
I'm I'm not allowed to show it on uh, on Shutter. Um, but uh, the, the the reason I did that kind of that first commentary track, by the way, was uh, the distributor at the time um, called me. Well, actually, the director called me. Mayor Zarki called me, and he said, uh, "Are you that guy that wrote the the?" the favorable review of I spit on your grave. And I said, yeah. <laughs> and he says, would you do the commentary track for the release of my movie? And I said, um, I said, uh, sure. I said, well, you know, why do you want me to do it? And he says, because you wrote the only favorable review that it ever got. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, the thing is, uh, that movie, which was intended to be a, uh, a pro-woman anti-rape statement mm-hmm. um, got attacked by Siskel and Ebert for all the wrong reasons. I don't know if they just watched 10 minutes of it and didn't watch the rest of it or if they just like hated the genre of, you know, they just hated the fact that it was a revenge movie. But it, it was not. it was not unlike previous movies that had been done by Ingmar Bergman and Sam Peckinpah. <laughs> Um, and, and it was, it was just the fact that it was marketed as an exploitation movie and it was called, I spit on your grave. I think gave everybody a license to, um, attack it. The director was shocked that people considered it misogynist. And, and I still, to this day, do not think it was misogynist. And certainly the actress, Camille Keaton, who was a grand niece of uh, Buster Keaton, um, who played the lead and did a great job in that role was also shocked that um, people thought, you know, that she had humiliated herself by doing the movie, and she didn't think so at all. She thought that it was a pro-woman movie. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I, yes, in a lot of in a lot of places, it is, the opinions about it have changed since 1978, but it, but. A lot of, in a lot of ways, it it's still it's still got the same reputation, and it's still <laughs> it's still it's still banned in most places. So, uh, but um, there have been quite a few. I mean, the the cannibal movies, uh, which were mostly made by Italian companies in the eighties, late seventies and eighties, um, those have always been censored almost wherever they play all over the world. Um, uh, we had to, when we, when we played cannibal Holocaust on the last drive in, we had to put a disclaimer on the front of it and we had to, uh, have an alternative version that had the, um, harm to animals taken out of it. We, we took out the, uh, harm to animals scenes, uh, and did a, you know, a, a, a version that you could watch that was like PETA friendly. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, the director, Rosero Deodato, claims no animal, no animal was killed except the ones that were going to be eaten by the natives. I don't think that's true. <laughs> I know. It's like it's kind of a stretch once you once you've seen the scenes and how they were yeah, shot yeah. and everything. I don't think that's true. he says they were all uh, used as food. 
I don't, uh, I, you know, it, it, we'll never know. It was the Italians. They would, they never told the truth about what they were shooting and how they were shooting it and who was in it or anything else, you know? And so we will never know. But, um, but we thought, you know, it had entered film history. We wanted to show it anyway. Um, and you know, we warned people if, if you, if you think this is immoral to watch this, then don't watch it because it makes people want to watch it. <laughs> um, but, um, uh, so there's, there's still are films out there like that. Uh, there are films that people believe are snuff films. They're not snuff films. There are, there are films that were marketed as, as snuff films. You know, they, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they were they were promoted as you know real people dying on film. If you look at them, it, it's it's ridiculous to think that, that, <laughs> on, that on the that they got these thirty five millimeter images of people actually being killed on film. They, those those do not exist. Um, however, if if you show one of those, um, people will look up the old articles, the old controversies about it and think that you are showing a snuff film. And so, you know, and usually what it was, it was a bad film, a failed film that had already gone out under a certain title. And so they retitled it, made people think it was a snuff film in order to get their money back. And so they put it out a second (laughs) time, uh, you know, and, and, you know, implying that everything in the film actually happened when it was true and everything, you know, first of all, you know, if you're shooting on 35 millimeter, 35 millimeter, millimeter film, uh, you don't have time to light it. <laughs> if, it's, <laughs> if it's really happening, you, know, you, you, don't, you, you don't ask the killer to wait for the crane to be ready so you can get the <laughs> overhead shot, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, and you've been around horror for a while now. Uh, how have you seen the genre evolve and are, are there any trends or changes you find that are exciting? All the trends in horror right now are exciting. And it started in 2016 when uh, the shape of water won the Academy award for best picture. Nothing like that had ever happened to a horror film before. I mean, even just go back 10 years before that, go back to 2006 and ask somebody, would the Academy ever give best, the best picture to a horror film, and especially to a horror film that involves a rubber suit monster? <laughs> you know, uh, no, no, they despise horror. Now, occasionally, you would have a film um, that was like borderline horror that that you know uh, that would get some Academy Academy attention, like The Exorcist. You know, got some technical awards and. Um, uh, there was, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you know, long time ago got, got some awards and, um, you know, so it, 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 but for the most part, horror was always considered, um, beneath the contempt of studios. Then they control the Academy. Uh, now once the shape of water wins the Academy award, suddenly money is available. Money is available to make horror films. And so we had this whole period of what they call elevated horror. I hate that term. I think people say, <laughs> when people say elevated horror, what they mean, what they mean is I hate horror. It's sort of like the way they talk about country music. You know, I hate country music, 
but I like Taylor Swift, you know, (laughs) you know, I I hate, I hate, uh, I hate horror, but, um, I like get out, you know? (laughs) And so, and so they use that elevated horror to mean, it's not really horror, <laughs> you know, it's yeah, like, right. you know, cause, cause it has this social, socially redeeming subtext. Well, horror films have always had a socially redeeming subtext. You, you <laughs> go back to Nosferatu in the silent eras, you know, horror films have always had that. But anyway, um, uh, what happened is you had these films, suddenly you had films, horror films, remakes making a hundred million dollars, $200 million that, the it the remake of it Stephen King's it yeah um, I think it was two hundred and fifty million yeah it's it's right under The Exorcist I think yeah and 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 um, you, you know you had the the uh, how many times have they remade the Halloween series you know <laughs> but, but some you know and 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 most of them people say oh my god that time Rob Zombie did oh my god you know but but now suddenly. What what made the difference? What made the difference? You know, Blumhouse does a trilogy of Halloween films, and they're all through the. Yeah. You know, David Gordon Green did all three of them, um, and uh, uh, suddenly there was all this money available to make the make the films, and people were going to the films, and um, that money trickled down so that we have a lot of ind- indie uh, horror films coming out. Uh, now, unfortunately, you know, with, with streaming taking over the business, those films end up on a menu and a lot of them get lost. Um, but, um, uh, everything in the past, you know, seven years has been, horror has just been trending upward and upward and upward. I think what happened is it became a genre of its own instead of, you know, it's right up there with comedy, drama, um, action, you know, uh, superhero, you know, now it's one of the major genres, uh, you know, yeah. it, there's big, there big, there's big budget horror, there's monster budget horror, <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's, there's medium budget horror, you know, which is what most of the Blumhouse films are. And then there's a whole lot of continuing low budget horror. But the low-budget horror films get made now. They don't just—you don't just have scripts that get passed around L.A. forever and never get right. made. Those 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 scripts get made. I mean, you guys—I mean, you guys would know because you watch the stuff that maybe doesn't have a big uh, national following, but um, but it's out there and it and it exists and it can find an it can eventually find an audience. So I mean. Uh, my answer was about money because everything in the film <laughs> business is about money. So, you know, um, sure. so all, all trends follow the money in the film business. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, we want to thank you again for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure to get to talk to you and, uh, we're looking forward to the rest of the, the season of, uh, the last drive-in. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Joe Bob. Take care. Uh, okay. Bye. <laughs> Thanks to all the horror hounds and smokers out there for tuning in. And uh, I don't know if there's enough thanks to uh, Joe Bob Briggs for joining us today. I know, right? Uh, so uh, make sure to follow us online. Hi on Horror 420, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Uh, send us some puff puff ass questions at highonhorror420 at gmail.com. Check out our website, highonhorror.com. 
and uh joining us next week uh i buried the episode for next week instead of going you know before the social i yeah. buried it so i mean it works out because next week we'll bury the bride that's right and we'll talk with chrissy fox uh co-writer actor editor am i missing anything is uh, it part composer part, yeah, part every hat on the movie yeah feels like yep but uh yeah so uh it's on tubi it's free so watch it before uh next week and then uh well we'll have we'll have some spoilers but it won't be spoiler heavy yeah but it does have one of the big spoilers but we'll warn you we're warning you check or, it out bury the bride or tubi. instead of having to worry about it just watch the episode or the episode watch the movie on tubi that's what i'm saying yeah, yeah just watch the movie just watch and then you don't have to worry and see you next week yeah, see you next week. Catch you later. I think we're done. Something. Bye. Next week. Adios. <laughs>